Welcome to New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. Here's the question that we look at. Here's the first one. Who are the witnesses? How do they witness? And does it work? Pastor Randy takes us through Revelation chapter 11 to answer those questions as we continue the Beloved series. If you don't feel like you're ever at war with the devil, then you're probably not much of a threat to him. You feel like he's working on you, feel like he's attacking your ministry, your family. Yeah, you're dangerous. Turn in your Bible now to Revelation chapter 11, verse 3. Here's Pastor Randy. Turn to Revelation chapter 11. You can elbow bump the people around you, all right? And at the end of the service, by the way, we have a prayer station. I just want you to know this. If you go out for prayer and you're wearing a mask, the people at the prayer stations are going to put a mask on. Okay, so we wanna try to honor each other in the place that, that we're in on this. Um, we're, we're taking this seriously. The Lord, has, the Lord has been gracious to us. We have yet to have a spread of this horrific thing here at New Hope. We are thankful for that. I don't think we're smarter than anybody else. I think God's been gracious to us. Um, but, but we just continue, let's just love each other and be wise here, as wise as we can in this season. I, wanna, I just wanna read you a couple of verses here, beginning at, at verse three. He says this in chapter 11, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth, consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of the prophesying, and they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they finish their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. Look back over now to verse 17. Here we come back to the pause. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, it doesn't say and who is to come, because he's, he's here. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came in the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple and there are flashes of lightning and rumblings and pearls of thunder and earthquake and heavy hail. And may God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. Now, keep your Bible there. You wanna flip over to Zechariah chapter four and mark that. You wanna mark Romans chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter five. Somebody said, you like 2 Corinthians chapter five. I like 2 Corinthians chapter five. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And Matthew chapter 17, mark those places, I'll tell you as we get to them. Now, two things really quick. As we move into the fall, we're gonna be starting this new series. It's called Dream Again. We're gonna be going through the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, it says that the old will dream and the young will have vision. And we wanna have devotions every day of, of the entire season that we're going through the book of Acts. I need some people to join me in that process. 
And if you'd be interested in helping write the devotions, we have permission from the seedbed people to adapt the ones that they wrote this summer. So you don't have to start from zero. If you're interested in that, email me, randy at gfc.tv. I'd love for you to be a part of that team. I'll, I'll coach you in this. If you've wanted to be a part of something like this, if you've wanted to share what God's been doing in your life, this is gonna be a great opportunity. You can do this. You can do this. But I need you guys to join with me in this. I'll be telling you more about it as we approach this new series, Dream Again. We start September 5th. My brother Vernon's gonna be here preaching. One of only two guest pastors that haven't gotten me in trouble. Uh, so uh, if you've been here for a while, all the guest preachers get me in trouble. Vernon and Victor Hamilton, the only ones that didn't get me in trouble. Now, I might get myself in trouble here a little bit. We, um, we had NG3 training last week, and we had this little contest that as tables, and I was sitting with all New Hope people, and we had this little contest, and, and the contest was this, is this Revelation or Taylor Swift lyrics? And, and, and all the guys around me were like, hey, we're gonna win this, Randy's teaching through Revelation. And it got to the very last one, and Bill Potter intentionally distracted me, and I lost the contest of Revelation and Taylor Swift so, uh, so we're gonna run through Revelation and Taylor Swift, okay? So what we're gonna do here is we're gonna see is this Revelation or is this Taylor Swift? Okay, here's our first one. Okay, here's our first one. We're gonna put these on the, on the screen. Don't we have these on the screen? Then I looked and oh, a door open into heaven. Do we have that? Do we have? We don't have these? Oh, Jeremy, I'm so sad. And here's, I'm gonna tell you why Jeremy didn't put these on the screen because Jeremy and I did this last night as I was going through the sermon, and Jeremy lost in this competition. Jeremy did not score this. Just, okay, so you tell me this, okay. Then I looked and oh, a door opened into heaven. Is that, is that Revelation or Taylor Swift? What do you think? How many say Revelation? How many say Taylor Swift? Yeah, that's Revelation, okay. <laughs> she's not a saint and she's not what you think. Okay, is that Taylor Swift or is that about Jezebel? Oh, I cast a, a tinge of doubt. How many say Revelation? She's not what you, oh, we got some Taylor Swifties here in the room. Yeah, that's Taylor Swift, okay. All right, how about this? But you walked away from your first love, why? What's going on with you anyway? Is that Revelation or Taylor Swift? How many say that's Revelation? How many say that's Taylor Swift? It could be Taylor Swift, all right? But it's not, that's Revelation. Okay, all right, how about this one? How about, the time, for, the time for us to come, the time will come for us to win and we will sing hallelujah, hallelujah. The time will come for us to win and we will sing hallelujah, hallelujah. Brandon, chairman of the elders. <laughs> Is that Revelation or Taylor Swift? <laughs> no pressure. That's Taylor Swift. <laughs> all right, here's one. All right, Sandy. All right, wait, Don. I heard Don. Don, another elder. Yeah, you can't be making fun of him, okay? I'm coming back to you, big man. All right, all right, here we go, here we go. I saw this and fainted dead at his feet. That is revelation. <laughs> he got it right. All right. Here we go. Revelation chapter 11, I, I, may, I may not, have, you may have a different pastor at the end of today, all right, if I'm calling out the elders on this, all right, Revelation chapter 11, verse three, 
He says, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses. Now here's, here's the question that we look at. Here's the first one. Who are the witnesses? How do they witness? And does it work? Now here, who are the witnesses? Now look, there's a, there's a clue in the very word. What does that word witness mean? Remember this? It means martyr. It means martyr. The, to, the word witness means one whose life is put on the line, most often taken for the very point of their faith. So, so they, the, the witnesses are, are martyrs. Who, who are these? There's, there's some hints in here. Look at verse four. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the, before the Lord of the earth. If anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth, consumes their foes. I'm gonna go ahead and cut to the chase here. Most of the time, this is one of our principles we've been talking about. This is the hermeneutic, the science of interpretation. When you see something and you don't understand it, read the next verse. When you don't understand that, read the next verse. If you don't understand that, go back to some verses that you already read. Because this is what a first century Christian, the minute you said this, they would be thinking about who this is. Zechariah chapter 11. I'm sorry, Zechariah chapter four. Flip over to Zechariah chapter four. Has everybody got a Bible? If you need a, do we hand out Bibles? Okay, great. Thank you for doing what I didn't ask you to do. All right. It says, verse, chapter four, verse one, the angel who talked with me came again and woke me. They got woke like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold, a lampstand, all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps. Oh, we've been hearing this, haven't we? With seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it and there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and one on its left. You see, it does no good to have a lampstand if you don't have an olive tree. It does no good to have a lamp without oil. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right and the other on the left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? And the angel who talked with me answered and said, do you not know that the, what these are? I said, no. And he said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now flip back over to Revelation 11. Who are these two? First of all, who is, who is the olive tree? Well, we get a hint there because we know it's the word of the Lord. We know that, that both of these are about the word of the Lord. But if you look into Romans chapter 11, in Romans chapter 11, this is an interesting thing. Romans chapter 11, verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, Who's he talking to here? If you've got a Bible with chapter markers or paragraph markers, it tells you this is about the Gentiles. They're grafted into the olive tree. Who's the olive tree? The olive tree is the people of God, the old covenant people of God. This is the Hebrew people. Verse 24 of chapter 11. For you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree. How much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? That says that there will be a day when there will be, there will be absolutely, there will be a revival among God's people. 
and the Jewish people in droves will come back to their first love. That's what we're praying for. So who, who is this? Who, what is this witness? Well, the old covenant is the word and the people of God. The word and the people of God, old covenant people of God. That's the olive tree. Who's the lampstand? We know who the lampstand is. Who's the lampstand? We, we read this in Revelation chapter one. Who's the lampstand? That's the church. It's the new covenant people of God. That's, that's about the salvation and the people of Jesus. That's the church. The olive tree, these are the two witnesses. Now, am I saying there will not be a time in history, in the future, I'm sorry, when there are two very specific witnesses that come to earth? I'm not saying that. This is what I'm saying. As best as I can understand what Scripture's saying to me here, this is the two, this is the two witnesses, that you have the old covenant and you have the new covenant, and both of those stand together. If you don't have the old covenant, it's hard to understand the new. If you don't have prophecy, Jesus is just a man who lived and died and came back again. Other people claim that, by the way. Alexander the Great claimed that. Lots of people have claimed that over the, over the course of life, but none of them were marked by the prophecy of the Old Testament. Now watch this. Of what do they witness? Well, what they point to is they point to the word of God and the person of Jesus. This is their witness. This is what the word of God does. That's what the old covenant does. That's what the new covenant does. They point to the word of God. This is the prophetic word of God pointing to who Jesus would be. It's the new covenant pointing to who Jesus is and was and is to come. That's, that's the two witnesses here of what do they witness. Well, they would witness the same things that Elijah and Moses would witness to. When you read through this, what you see here is the, these describers of them, fire pours from their mouth. Who, who is the one who brings fire most consistently in the Old Testament? That's Elijah. Elijah brought fire from heaven to defeat the soldiers in 2 Kings 1. We talked about last week on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18 against the prophets of Baal. Elijah shut off the rain for three and a half years. Who's the one who brings the plagues? That's Moses. Moses is the one at his command. Egypt comes into plagues of frogs and death, darkness. The water of the Nile is turned to blood. It looks like this is Moses and Elijah, but it isn't the physical person of Moses and Elijah. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 17. Now watch this. Jesus takes Peter and James and John the inner three within the 12. You need that inner three within the bigger group. It's that personal discipleship that's going on. And he takes them up, says to a high mountain, that they go up there, and here is Moses and Elijah, the premier Old Testament prophets with Jesus, the ones who pointed the word of God, the law of God of Moses, the prophetic word pointing out who Jesus would be of Elijah, and here they are together, and Peter's there, and what's Peter wanna do? Peter's like, you guys need like a, you guys need a gazebo here, or a, or a yurt, Isn't that, a yurt, is that what it's called? A yurt, a yurt? Yeah, a tent. All right, and, and y'all, so, so it's like, I'm gonna make you some place to hang out, you know, and Jesus is like, we'll be all right. You know, we'll, thanks, Peter. That's Peter's instantaneous response. You know, I need to jump in here because Jesus doesn't know what to, how, to, how to be hospitable. So, you know, Peter's always the one who's moving ahead of where Jesus wants him to be. And, and then the disciples, now watch this, in 17, all right, as you, as you get a little bit farther on, Jesus is talking to him. Look at verse nine. They were coming down the mountain, 
Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say the first Elijah must come? So who is this first Elijah, okay? Verse, verse 11, he sa it says that he answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things, but I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him what they pleased. So also the Son of Man will suffer at their hands and the disciples understood what they were speaking, what, what he was speaking to them of. Who's he speaking to them of? John the Baptist. What's John the Baptist say? In John 1, 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is the point of our witness? If our witness is not about the word of God and the person of Jesus, then all we're doing is twiddling our thumbs. Listen, horrendous things happened in Haiti yesterday. We are gonna answer that. We, what, what, what we do in Cambodia if you were here on Sunday, we talked about that was powerful. If you were here on Wednesday night, you guys that were here on Wednesday night know this. It's unbelievable, isn't it? How God's taken the seed faith of this little church and a lot of you people that, that come here and God's taken that and, and doing incredible things. And we've got to be doing all those things. We've got to be caring for widows and orphans. We have to be stepping in to places where there are children who cannot save themselves and be that voice for the ones who cannot be the voice for themselves. We've got to do that. But if we don't point people to the word of God and the person of Jesus, we're failing our witness. It's ultimately what it's about. It's ultimately about those two things. This is, this is what they witness to. Now, now, how do they witness? There's some clues in here. Here's the first thing. They minister in twos, two witnesses. You have to have an olive tree and you have to have a lampstand. You, you've got to have a supplier of the oil or the lamp doesn't do any good. You need a wingman, Maverick. There's Maverick, all right, yeah. I was kind of referring to the Top Gun, but you too. You gotta have a wingman. Actually, it's, it's really good. I, I'm a lug adult this year. I'm really excited about that. And I actually got, I got my lug heads out here. I see some of you guys. But Maverick is our senior lug head who's gonna be working with freshman lug heads in training them up as to how, as to how they become lug heads. All right, good job, Maverick a trajectory of leadership. You gotta, have that, you gotta have that other person with you, that oil supplier in your life. It, it, if, if you're just on your own, it, it's, it can be a really lonely thing. What does God say to Elijah? After they defeat the prophets of Baal, Elijah's like, just kill me, Lord. I, 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 there's this woman, she, she hates me, and, and, and I'm just undone. And what's God say to do? What's he say? He says, go get who? Elisha. You go get Elisha. You need that wingman, and their ministry changed. You gotta have that wingman. You go in twos. There were two of the spies in Numbers 13, they come back and they got it right. It was funny. Caleb and Joshua are like, are like they're like bread to us, and, and the rest of the spies are like, no, we're like grasshoppers to them. I mean, we're nothing. The two, two come back. When, when Joshua sends them back in, how many does he, does he send? Just two. It, it, how many angels are at the tomb of Jesus? There's two. 
It's Jesus sends his witnesses out, Mark chapter six. You see this all through the gospels in twos. You, you need that other person with you, walking with you, helping you in your ministry. You need that other person. So they go in twos. Here's the second thing, over time. A lot has been made of this time factor. You see this throughout the next three or four chapters. 42 months, 1,260 days. In the Hebrew calendar, a month was 30 days. It was 30 days even. 1,260 days, three and a half years. And a lot of people talk about, well, you know, this is the time of the tribulation. It very well may be. It very well may be. This is what I know. It takes about three and a half years to do any legitimate ministry. You have to be somewhere a period of time. It just doesn't work. You, you can drop in and you can do like a big event, but, but it's, it's that ministry over time that you walk with people. That, listen, listen, I've told Josh, listen, I know you're big and tough, but if you leave before three and a half years, I'm gonna whoop you, young man. You've got to have that time. You've got, it takes time. I, listen, this is no exaggeration at all. The first year and a half that we were at Grace was miserable for us. People wanted us to leave. It was, it was horrible. I'm not talking about New Hope. I hope not. But, but I'm talking about Grace family and when we were at Grace Snow Mountain. First year and a half was horrible. It took three years. And then in about three and a half years, Something happened, something changed. It takes time. Ministry takes time. Don't be frustrated that it isn't happening just instantaneously. It takes time. They minister for three and a half years. And the point is made over and over again. 42 months, 1260 days. It's like, it's like, the, it's like Jesus saying, in case your math is a little weak, let me explain this to you. 1260. 42, three and a half, they all equal the same thing. Making a point over and over again. When you have a point made in threes, it's a profoundly, profound point, profoundly profound point, all right? He's making a huge point here. How do they minister? They're wearing sackcloth. They minister in humility, repentance. It's not about arrogance and pride. It's not about how cool we are. It's, it's, it's a ministry of humility. Something that, something that um, I think when you do this job, I, I, see, I see Matt out there, when you, when you do ministries and you're leading people, God picks people who, are, who aren't necessarily afraid of everybody's opinion of them to be in ministry leadership sometimes. And sometimes arrogance comes out of that. And this is what I think we all learn as we do ministry. It's about him, not me. It's about him, not me. And, and we do ministry and we start, we start comparing ourselves to other people. It's about him, not me. It's about his glory, not mine. It, it isn't about how good is our worship or how great of a communicator we are. It's about him, not me. He, he, they come in humility. They, they, they come to, to, be, to be in repentance of, of, of a servant's attitude, not of a place of arrogance, not how cool am I, come to me. No, it's not what they do. 
I had a young man in my group somewhere else, not here. And I was doing, I was doing campus ministry, and we'll just call this kid Billy. I know I always call these kids Billy, but, uh, but we'll call him Billy. And he's a, he's a great guy, but it wasn't his best moment. The principal of this school was a wonderful guy. He actually reminds me a lot of my friend Bo Ford, who's the principal at Brookwood. He looks a lot like Bo and kind of carries himself a lot like Bo. And, and I was, um, this principal was just super nice to me. It was my first campus ministry job. I, I, was, I was 23. And I kept, I, I looked really young. Teachers kept asking me for hall passes, you know, as I would walk around campus and stuff. And but the principal was so good to me. He let me, I got to speak at graduation. I got to speak at baccalaureate. I got to pray before football games. I got to uh, do a training thing for the teachers. I didn't know anything, and he let me train the teachers. I mean, this guy was so great to me. And when I would come and have lunch with the kids, I had great access. He would, he would always call me into his office and just talk to me. Just like, how's your, you know, how's your parents doing? You know, how, how are you doing? Are, are you getting your support raised? And he would tell me about it. He was just so nice to me. One day he called me and said, hey, Randy, can you come over to the campus? And I said, sure, something wrong? He said, just come over to the campus. It, it was 1988. Some of you guys that are old like me remember this. You remember that 88 reasons for 88? Jesus was gonna come back in 88 and there was a little pamphlet going out, 88 for 88. I go, I, I go into the office and, and some of you guys are like, yeah, I was born in 88, yeah. <laughs> so, so, and I think I'm old, you know, and, and I was born in 88, no. I, so so I, I go into his office and he goes, hey, would you go in there and talk to Billy? I said, what's going on? He goes, let him tell you. So I go in there and Billy's sitting in his office. And he goes, I'll come walking in. He goes, boy, I am in trouble now, aren't I? <laughs> he goes, he goes, my, my, my youth guy and the principal have me in here. I'm in a lot of trouble. I said, what happened? He goes, well, Randy, Jesus is coming back this weekend. He goes, and I was in the cafeteria and I got up on the table and I started telling them, you know, they need to repent and come to Jesus because he's coming back this weekend. And he's got this striper shirt on. I don't, I think I'm gonna get in trouble. Okay, it, it said to hell with the devil. Okay, I hope I don't get in trouble for that. All right, and and did I get in trouble for that? Okay, 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 all right, okay, huh? I'm in trouble about the Taylor Swift thing, yeah. Yeah, okay, all right. And you know, back in the 80s, the more radical we thought our t-shirts were, the more we thought people would like come to know Jesus kind of thing. And, and, and he had gotten up on the table and was doing all that, and I, I, said, I, I said, you know, why'd you do that? He goes, Randy, people, people are gonna go into attorney and not know Jesus. I said, Billy, You've been a part of this campus for all these years. People respect you. They respect your walk with Jesus. You don't have to get on a table and yell at them. You, just be faithful. Just be faithful, Billy. He goes, Randy, people hate me because I love Jesus. I go, no, people hate you because you act weird. <laughs> it scares people. Approach, when you approach ministry with humility, I'm speaking to myself right here. I, look, I, 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 I drive by other churches. I see how many parking spots they have, all that kind of stuff. It's about him, not me. 
they, does it work? Well, verse seven says that the beast rises up from the bottomless pit, makes war on them and conquers and kills them. If you don't feel like you're ever at war with the devil, then you're probably not much of a threat to him. If you feel like he's working on you, feel like he's attacking your ministry, your family, yeah, you're dangerous. They make war. 36 references to this beast. 1 John 2.18 says, children, it's the last hour, and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. It, it looks like from what Scripture says, also 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 to 10, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power, false signs and wonders, and all wicked deception. Look at this. He deceives. For those who are perishing, now watch this. Why are they perishing? Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. This is his, his weapon is deception. He, his primary weapon is deception. His primary weapon is to get us to love the wrong things, to love the lies. That's his primary weapon. You, you, you look at the lies that sometimes we believe. That's the enemy. It's how he works. He's a deceiver because we refuse to love the truth. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. 36 references in the rest of Revelation here about the Antichrist, this false prophet. What does he go against? He goes against the word of God. His primary thing is to go against what God's word says and his other primary thing is to try to refute who Jesus is. How does he do that? By attacking the people of God. You wanna hurt me? Don't hurt me, hurt my kids. You, you're gonna hurt them? Don't touch, break my arm. Don't, don't pinch their finger. That's why he goes against the people of God. That's why he comes after you. Has nothing to do with you. He hates God. He knows God loves us. Enemy doesn't work in a spirit of love. They... They are brought down for a short period of time. It says three and a half days. And watch this, verse nine. Some of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations gaze at their dead bodies. They gaze. And these people that are in command refuse to let them be buried. They, they, they leave them there. It's a sign of disrespect. But there's some people that are watching and watch this, verse 11, after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and the enemies watched them. Now watch this. And at that hour, there's a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell and 7,000, that is indication of a lot of people are killed, but look, the rest are terrified, but they give glory to the God of heaven. There's mixed reviews. Some are celebrating. They're celebrating over the loss. Some people celebrate when church leaders fall. Some people celebrate when you fall. But others are watching. And they're not done when they're killed. 
Now they've done when they finish their testimony. Look at, you look over at verse 11 there, that they're raised up, and then look at the end. Verse 15, the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And we go into the worship of heaven. Some takeaways. There's a power of revival here. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I'll hear from heaven, I'll heal their land. Revival starts with us, church, with our brokenness. Do we approach the world in humility or in arrogance? Do we approach it with sackcloth? Are we faithful over time? Are we the ambassadors of 2 Corinthians chapter five? Worship team, come on up here. Our witness, our witness is not witless. I've got an old book in my library, it was my brother Vernon's, How Not to Be a Witless Witness. Can't say that five times really fast. It's time. Get a wingman or a wingwoman. Over time, consistency, humility. One more thing. Ending doesn't mean it's over. The enemy cannot stop the work of our God. I'm gonna say that again, church. Y'all are sounding a little 1030-ish to me right now. Oh, I'm gonna be in so much trouble for that. I'm just getting in trouble everywhere. The enemy cannot stop the work of God. Their, their witness isn't done when they're killed. Their witness ends when God gets the glory. It's in the text. Some of y'all have been faithful in front of your family for a long, long time. You got brothers, sisters, grandchildren, children, grandparents, and they are walking on a path to destruction and you're doing everything that you can. Some of y'all, you're getting up in the years and you're like, I don't know if I'm gonna see this in my lifetime. Your witness isn't over when your life is over. Your witness is over when your testimony ends, when the glory goes to God. When, when you've been faithful and years down the road, people look back, those very people that we prayed for, look back and they see that. I, I was... I was witnessing, I was just hanging out with my friend Jim Pearson the other day. Jim and Judy were some of the founders of Teen Missions International. They go to church here. Jim's battling ALS, horrific disease, Lou Gehrig's disease. I was sitting over there talking to him. You know, they did this camp for kids. Thousands upon thousands of kids went on short-term missions trips. They were in Merritt Island, Florida, and these kids would come for like a boot camp for four weeks, and they would teach them how to go, and they'd go around the world and share the gospel of Jesus all over the world. And I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to Jim. He's communicating as best he can. And I'm, and I'm literally, I'm just crying out to God while this is going on. And I'm saying, Lord, this is not right. Jim Pearson deserves to die at 90 years old 
go to sleep and, and just not wake up. That's how Jim Pearson deserves to die. This is not right. What are you doing here? Why? He's too young to go through this. This is not right. And the Lord spoke to me. Let me tell you how God speaks to me. I, I read his word. I live my life. And those two things have an intersection with each other. I had been reading Revelation chapter 11. And I literally said to the Lord, this is not how this story should end. And the Lord just says, you think this is the end? Can you imagine when Jim Pearson steps into heaven and some kid from New Guinea walks up to him and says, my family knows Jesus because one of those kids came and came to my village and told him about Jesus. Your witness doesn't end just with your life. Your witness goes way past that. Your witness doesn't end with your years. Your witness doesn't end even when you leave a place. That's the, that's the thing that these witnesses do. Listen, there are people who watch and they mock and they belittle and they get on social media and they belittle, but you know what? They're watching. They're watching. And some of the most violent ones, the ones who mock the most, are the ones who are watching the most to see how will we respond to that mocking? Will we, will we do it in sackcloth or will we do it with the very arrogance that they're, that they're acting in? Your witness does not end with your life. It ends with his glory. Would you stand with me and let's pray? Lord Jesus, as we would pause here this morning, as we would take the time here to pray, to remind ourselves of the fact that your body and your blood was broken for us, poured out for us, Lord, we commit to you these people in our ministries, in our lives, in, in, in our families. And we want them to know you. We just want them to know you. And that they would love the truth. And there are things we don't understand. Don't let us respond to the world in the brokenness of the world. Let us respond in the power of your Holy Spirit, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. That's what Zachariah said. Lord, let us live that way. Amen. The enemy cannot stop the work of God, and your witness does not end with your life. It ends with his glory. Thanks for listening. I'm Myrna Brown.